0: Hello there. Welcome to the Ebon Hawk, a podcast discussing Star Wars news and Night Shield Republic. Today we will discuss Boba Fett. Boba Fett? Where? And the allusions to Kotor in the Mandalorian Season 2 premiere. The Marshall, this is where the fun begins. All right. So we're going to get things started off with, with our recent poll that we did where um, you guys had answered our question for music. And that was what was your favorite song on our podcast? And so just to go over this really quick, um, 50% of you guys had said um, the intro was your favorite. 5% of you said JVAR's Cantina was your favorite. And the outro, um, 45% of you said that that was your favorite. So um, I'm going to get things started right away. I uh, I wanted to vote for the outro, but I, I couldn't because the comment box was in the way.
1: Uh, yeah, um, I was able to vote no problem I'm with it uh for the Bastila's theme so yeah our intro is based on the Old Republic theme then our transition is the Javier's Cantina theme and the outro of course is the Bastila's theme the intro and outro of course are composed by Alistair Schreiman, and our transition music was composed by Christian Walker so they really knocked it out of the park and I think definitely the intro kind of sounds like the beginning of a Star Wars movie, you know? It kind of gets everyone interested and into the era of KOTOR. And then Javier's Cantina is just like a fun cantina bop, you know? Just while you're in between side quests, you know? And then the outro, we kind of wanted something a little deeper, you know, kind of more contemplative, and uh, we just thought the Bastila theme uh, matched that well.
0: You know, I thought this was a good poll, and uh, we we definitely look forward to getting some other work done here in the future, so I think we're already in communication with uh, some revisions as well as some new pieces, so everybody has something to uh, look forward with that.
1: Yeah, all right, and before we dive into the Mandalorian Season 2 premiere I just wanted to take a moment and make a plug to ask you, our beloved listeners, to please review our podcast on Apple Podcasts. Subscriptions and reviews and shares really help us out immensely, and it helps people find, you know, like the little overlooked planets, you know, like Tatooine. It helps them raise their cred, you know, and become a little bit more like a a Coruscant or a Naboo, you know, just so some good worlds aren't overlooked, you know? So we're just kind of on the outer rim. We're just a simple podcast trying to make our way in the universe. So there's our plug for this week. So we appreciate all of you and all the help you give us.
0: So uh, before we get started, just a heads up, everyone, we are going to be spending the rest of this episode talking about Mandalorian Season 2. So if you haven't seen this yet, by the time this releases, the second episode is probably going to be coming out. So You really should just um, have seen it. <laughs> I know. like, So if you haven't seen it, get on it and then come back. We, uh, we look forward to you uh, coming back for the rest of this episode. Um, but we'll give everybody a minute and then we'll jump right into our discussion on The Mandalorian Season 2. All right. So welcome back those who want to stick around with us. First things first, season two, two starts off as chapter nine. So instead of starting over with chapter one with season two, they're going with a continuation. And it's titled The Marshal and written and directed by John Favreau. Um, and it's a longer episode, it's 52 minutes. So it's a good opener. And we start off on the. Uh, is it the Graffiti World, or do we actually know the planet's name? It
1: doesn't have a name, so everyone's just calling it the Graffiti World. It's a cool establishing shot, though.
0: Yeah, so the the episode gets started with the um, Mandalorian. He's investigating for Baby Yoda's kind, and he is informed to, I guess, seek out another Mandalorian that's rumored to be on Tatooine.
1: And I really liked uh, when we returned to Tatooine, that Amy Sedaris's Peli Motto reappeared. It was fun to have her return and it was kind of funny because um, when she was kind of talking about the child it seemed a little bit meta, like about the baby Yoda craze, you know? And there was some character development because she was like, oh, droids back up he doesn't like you and then the Mandalorian is like, it's okay I'm over that now.
0: Yeah, after uh, IG-88 I think it was IG-11. Know. Is it IG-11? Yeah. I don't know. That confuses me because, you know, like, IG-88 would be, it, you know, it would be the newer model, but I don't know. Okay, IG-11, you know, he, he helps kind of with that with that droid prejudice when he explains to the Mandalorian that, you know, he can see him without his mask because he's not, like, a living human being, so he helps him out, and I think that definitely uh, helps the Mandalorian's views on droids. So I don't know. One thing that I picked up with this episode and something that I really like about kind of like John Favreau's direction is just how much fun the cast has in this whole episode. You can kind of tell that everybody just really kind of enjoys the roles and has a little bit of creative freedom to, to kind of like spin it in their own little direction. So just with the, uh, the different characters that we're going to talk about, that's something that's really evident and made the episode like really enjoyable throughout. Yeah, when he speaks with Pelimato, she shows him a map of Tedouine and kind of goes over the the Tatooine settlements and points out Mos Pelgo and explains that that's that's kind of like a I don't know like a rundown or a non-existent town according to the kind of the local rumor. Um, but the Mandalorian decides to go out there anyway because that's where this uh this mystery mandalorian is camped out yeah it's so like a ghost we get town. yeah and we get we get a little bit of that when he does arrive where it kind of reminds us of a old kind of like spaghetti western like a Clint Eastwood film of like arriving to a town for the first time being that stranger and uh you know go, goes to the bar speaks with the uh the bar owner which you know is the thing to do if you're or a bar if you're new to a dusty town What's that? You
1: said, "Bar owner." You could just call him a bartender or barkeep.
0: Maybe. I mean, he probably owns that bar. But anyway, so there's there's a lot of really uh, fun kind of spaghetti western callbacks with this with this sequence, and that's where we meet Cobb Vanth, who's played by Timothy Oliphant. and he's uh, he's got bullfied armor, which is a which is a cool Easter egg, and I liked how. We don't take like a huge deviation off of kind of the legends lore of Boba Fett with his inclusion of, uh, in the story.
1: Cobb Vanth, he was mentioned in the Aftermath books and they said that he is in the Mos Pelgo region and he was wearing Boba Fett's armor. And what I liked is that Timothy Oliphant has a very, he has a tall and lean physique. So... Boba Fett's armor doesn't quite fit on him. So when it when he's wearing it, I'm like, that's Boba Fett's armor, but that is no Boba Fett, you know? But when he took off his helmet, that kind of clued you in that he's not really a Mandalorian. He's just wearing the armor. But I was like, oh, Timothy Oliphant, I had forgotten, you know? He, he looks good, you know? And I'm kind of sad that he's been in the Mandalorian because I think he would have made a great Karth or even a good Kanderous, you know, but...
0: Something interesting to note, because, like, it took it took a little bit to kind of clue in that that wasn't, like, an older Boba Fett, because, well, for one, we didn't know if we got, like, the old actor back for that, but the, like, if, if you follow the Clone Wars lore, the, the Mandalorians in Star Wars The Clone Wars kind of spit on the Fett family as, well, as... Discount Mandalorians because they talk about how Jangle Fett doesn't actually well. There's there's two different cases. There's either Jangle Fett doesn't have a true set of Mandalorian armor, but he has armor fashioned like Mandalorian armor, or B he like comes across Mandalorian armor illegitimately and wears it, but he's not he's not of the Mandalorian tribe. He's not from Mandalore, and and so. He's just kind of like a, a bad taste, and and like a bad example of kind of the Mandalorian race and and also uh, tribe. So it makes sense why, like in Star Wars: Attack of the Clones, Jingle Fett has his mask off a lot, even when Cobb Van takes his mask off. I, I was expecting that from Boba Fett as they're they're not true Mandalorians according to the Clone Wars lore.
1: Yeah, I mean there were rumors that Timothy Oliphant was playing Cobb Vanth, so I I didn't think it was Boba Fett to begin with. And then as Cobb Vanth and Mando are talking, there starts to be a ground quake. I would say an earthquake, but you know they're not on earth. And I was like, what's going on? Is this like something to do with the mining? Like are they fracking or something? I don't know. But then... And I was like, Disney would not do this. They literally would not do this. And then I was like, oh, it's a worm from Dune, you know. But then they're calling it a crate Dragon. And I ended up listening to the audiobook of Dune this year. And Dune is a great sci-fi novel, probably one of the best of all time. It's by Frank Herbert. And... It's probably inspirational for, like, all of modern sci-fi, I would say. Um, and I really do think that Dune and Frank Herbert have not gotten enough credit for the inspiration they've given to Star Wars, because I think the book and the failed adaptation of Dune, Jodorowsky's Dune, that had a lot of art and promotional material made for it that and and then when that fell through it went on to inspire 20th century fox when they were creating star wars so there's a whole lot of like story similarities like desert planets a fallen father a better son you know that i think when i was listening to dune i was kind of like putting a few things together and i was like i i wish that uh I didn't have to do so much digging to figure out like the inspirations that Dune gave to Star Wars but I'm sure it'll happen eventually but that was like I mean it is cool to have the crate dragon become canon and to see the different design uh I mean there's a few different designs which I I guess that makes sense there's some canon ones some legend ones and I mean that that does make sense because if you go to a zoo, like there's plenty of different kinds of like crocodiles, alligators, they're similar but different. Different kinds of snakes, you know, on a planet. They don't all have to be the same, but that was interesting.
0: So basically, the the Mandalorian he wants he wants Boba Fett's armor back. And then so they strike a deal to take care of the um crate dragon. And then he'll have the armor returned, and so they they then team up with the um, the Tuscan Raiders, um, who also get the small town involved, and they combat this uh, this dragon, which was a really really cool sequence, I think.
1: Yeah, it, it's definitely a great sequence, and I think Disney kind of learned. It's lesson is you kind of don't want to have a slow episode. You want to have some action and get people interested. Kind of have literally and kind of pun intended, you know, an explosive first episode, you know, and get people talking, create chatter.
0: Yeah, I think the only time, and this wasn't like a bad sequence either, but the only time that the episode kind of dragged for me was when... Um, Cobb Vanth was explaining kind of his origin story of how he came across the Mandalorian armor, but it was definitely necessary, but it was it, to kind of feel a little bit off pace uh, compared to kind of what all the events that led up to that point and then kind of like, oh, and by the way, let's get back to this story forward. Yeah. Um, and uh, also three Vanthas were harmed in the making of this episode. No, I'm just kidding.
1: <laughs> I did. I did watch the credits and there was a notification that no animals were harmed in the creation of this episode so they must have been you know cgi'd banthas so that was yeah fun but when they when they blow up the crate dragon you kind of see some parallels uh from the jaw was with the mud horn because the jaw was celebrated with the egg and then the tuscan celebrated with the pearl of the Crate Dragon and we'll we'll get into that later but it was some nice framing it's like you know it's like poetry it rhymes
0: they killed the Crate Dragon uh, everybody got what they wanted and they all kind of went their separate ways so we're kind of left with the Mandalorian not getting kind of the information he needs but he uh, he does recover a kind of easter egg artifact
1: So uh, as the Mando and Child are on the speeder on their way back to the Razor Crest, there's a twin sunset, and it's a peaceful uh, twin sunset. I would say it's not melancholic like Luke's binary sunset, and it's not like, I feel like Anakin's going to commit genocide, you know? It's just a nice, peaceful sunset. And then you see Boba Fett kind of overlooking Mando on the speeder and I was like I'm pretty sure that's Tamura Morrison and it's just like enough he has some Tusken Raider weapons and just kind of wearing a cloak he kind of gave up his armor and I was like I feel like this is kind of passing the baton Boba Fett to Mando you know like Mando is kind of like the the cool Mandalorian now you know. And the reason why Boba Fett is kind of scarred and missing eyebrows and hair is because he was in the Sarlacc and just the acid kind of makes it so you can't grow hair anymore. So, because I was like, I'm pretty sure that is Boba Fett because Boba Fett was last seen, you know, on Tatooine. And his armor was found. He's on Tatooine. Some people are like, what if it's Rex? I'm like, that's stupid because it's Boba Fett, you know? <laughs> so, oh, my dog joined. He loves me. I confirmed in the credits and I was like, Tamura Morrison. So I'm like, yeah, it's Boba Fett. So it was really cool. I never really believed he didn't survive, but there's always like five people who are like, until it's confirmed in canon, I'm not going to believe it. And I was like, well, it was confirmed, it is in, confirmed
0: canon. in canon. So The uh, Tale of the Bounty Hunter, quote unquote legend, um, Talked all about how Boba Fett was rescued and nursed back to life yeah um, I
1: like so. that this episode wasn't like a play-by-play of like how did Boba Fett survive you know it's like yeah we're kind of smart enough to kind of put it together you know like the armor Tatooine he's there I'm sure it'll be explained someday in more detail but that's all I really needed was the passing of the baton or the t-shaped visor helmet you know so one guess I do have for the future is that Cobb Vanth will be back he gives the armor to Mando but I kind of wonder if Mando will ever give the armor back to him you know like he's like you're an honorary Mandalorian now we need you more than ever and I kind of wonder I mean there was a canceled Boba Fett movie I believe it was going to be the director of the recent Godzilla movies was going to direct, uh, Trank, I believe, but then that was canceled, but I kind of wonder if this was ever meant to be a movie or show about Boba or Cobb. What do you think?
0: Uh, you'll have a message for me, a link that was sent to me. It's basically like a a visual narration of how Boba Fett survives the Sarlacc. It's a little bit conflicting to Tales of the Bounty Hunter, but... I mean, it's a it's kind of a fun, like, different take, I guess. But uh, it kind of just depends on what canon you follow, I think. All right, so let's take a quick break, and we'll come back with um, our final topic regarding the Easter eggs and also callbacks for um, Coastal References.
1: favorite easter egg for sure was that Cobb vance speeder was part of anakin's pod racer it was missing a little fin but it had the same sound design and i'm just like "Mm, it just looks good that was sounds good
0: that was one of my favorite designs that i saw was this speeder kind of made out of scrap of Anakin's pod I thought that was awesome looking
1: yeah and the Tusken Raider dogs from Attack of the Clones ended up appearing so we also had pit droids so like the prequel the prequel fans were definitely served so those are my favorite what about you
0: like we mentioned the the pod racer was like probably among my favorites Um, I also loved how like the Boa Fett armor wasn't a perfect fit and it looked really bad on uh, a
1: very good on, person, like very good looking, you know, like I was like, I fell in love with Cobb Vance. you know, but yeah, I just
0: loved how small the helmet looked on him and how it made his neck look really long. Yeah, like just that whole image was hilarious. And then I, I think those were kind of like my call out highlights yeah. from what I saw.
1: I personally didn't need to see R five again. I think it was enough to see him once. But I guess he, who else was going to show us the map of Tatooine?
0: Do we see R five anywhere outside the Mandalorian?
1: Um, you see him in A New Hope, but that's about it when it comes to canon.
0: Is that the is that the first protocol droid that they buy that shorts out on him?
1: Uh, the first. Or oh, not protocol
0: the uh, astrodroid? Yeah. Okay.
1: And then it blows up and then they get R2. Yeah.
0: I, I didn't pick that up, but that's uh, that's cool.
1: That You can see the outline of the bad motivator. No one's ever cleaned it or repaired it since then. So, mm. yeah. But, yeah, KOTOR fans were blessed in addition to the prequel fandom with this episode, I would say, because... Literally, I was like, "Oh, they're fighting a crate dragon on Tatooine, and where is its where is its lair? Oh, in a cave. How did they decide to defeat it with explosives? And when they blow it up, what do they find in the middle? A crate dragon pearl. And it's like, I was like, check, 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 a hundred percent Kotor cannon. You know, I was very pleased by that.
0: Yeah, to be honest, I can't remember much of. Tatooine and KOTOR so I was along for the ride on the Mandalorian season two so I was I was watching a quick special done by Eckhart's letter I think it was Eckhart's letter he had shown that the the worm does actually have arms and legs so it's not technically a worm there's like one little sequence where you can actually see the different appendages but I mean if you're not if you're not looking then it definitely just looks like a giant worm the whole time
1: yeah I mean, it moved like a shark, but it did have the horns and stuff that did resemble the KOTOR dragon. So there's just lots of different kinds of dragons. But then I was like, if they ever adapted KOTOR, they probably could do something similar, but people would think they were copying the Mandalorian. So they'd probably have to make it a bit different. So I was kind of thinking like, in an adaptation, like what if they had like three kind of smaller crate dragons and then you can definitely see the Rakadin uh, star map ruins, you know and maybe like the Rakadin or dark side influence kind of alters their behavior? I don't know. What would you do to kind of make a Kotor adaptation kind of different from the Mandalorian?
0: Like steering away from the dragon?
1: how would you handle the Tatooine, like finding the star map, like handling us like a dragon?
0: Oh, um, that's a good question. Uh, because yeah, now, now we have this, this incident where, um, the Mandalorian did it first. That's, it's tricky because I mean, other than, other than the, the Sarlacc, this is kind of like one of the big kind of king beasts that are, very, very established into kind of like the Tatooine like ecosystem. And so like I would hate for them to use something like lesser like a Sarlacc, um, especially because we've already seen that in Return of the Jedi. And
1: It's not compelling cinematically. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And
0: so, I mean kind of going back to some of my earlier comments about like how I'd handle a KOTOR adaptation, I don't know I don't know if I would want to have, for example, like a whole movie dedicated to like grabbing star map after star map. To me, that kind of sounds too much like a kind of like the Percy Jackson movie, where it's just like a like a scavenger hunt for an hour, Um, just kind of like picking up artifact after artifact until they they get themselves to Hades. Uh, So... Like I would I would definitely want to see a lot of planetary travel in, co- in like the KOTOR, Kotor films, but I don't know if I would if I would just rather simplify the the star map into just like one location or like two at the max with more like finding hints and not fragments of the star map if that makes sense. Especially because in the sequel trilogy, you kind of have, like, the whole star map thing with uh, R2-D2 hiding a chunk of a map to find Luke Skywalker. So we're also kind of dealing with, and this is something I'm just thinking about, too. Like, we're also kind of dealing with, well, now the sequel trilogy trilogy's also done this plot first.
1: Yeah. I guess um, with KOTOR, though... It's kind of a connection to kind of an ancient empire. So it's like they're finding ruins of something they don't know about. So I think that would be interesting. And like, I'm fine having the different worlds still appear. Maybe it doesn't literally have to be each star map looks the same. And you can kind of switch it up. So like each quest is different, you know, and just kind of serve the story, have the setting serve the story. Like I I liked having Kashik in the first movie and then have Tatooine and Manon appear in the second. And then like Corban would be more about Revan kind of discovering who he is. But I mean we'll probably also... get to this later when we discuss the Tatooine levels on our podcast, but One thing I was thinking that could be changed is if Bastila runs into her mom, but she doesn't know her father's dead, so then she's just trying to find him, but then, like, kind of stumbles upon, like, his corpse, because, like, I guess in my mind, three dragons or two crate dragons smaller, but kind of just a different fight, and maybe it could even kind of mirror, like, Revan and Basla's, like, approaches to the dark side, just so it's, like, symbolically kind of telling a story. And then, like, they defeat them, but then maybe she finds the, uh, corpse of her father and, like, has to deal with the holocron and, like, it could be a growing experience for her and, like, kind of develop that relationship, you know? But that's just me kind of thinking
0: something to maybe like come across as more of a compromise too is instead of focusing so much on visiting each planet to find like the star map fragment having that be the focus is have it more be about the like yeah the ruins the the remnant ruins and maybe they find something different
1: on each planet like but is a component to finding out like where the x on the map is
0: yeah, like have the star map be well. The, obviously, the Star Forge be kind of like the the big X, but like just have the one star map. But maybe these different locations kind of like allude and talk about the uh, the location to like the the star map relative to also discussing like the other ancient sites. Yeah, and so kind of like the kind of having the full picture of the different sites then takes you to the star map, which then takes you to the Star Forge. Something along those lines. Yeah. Just so it isn't just, like, finding the same artifact in, what, four different locations.
1: Yeah, and, like, sometimes the visions are kind of pretty much the same, too. I've been replaying KOTOR, and I was like, "Uh, these visions seem samey, you know? Visually, you don't want to see the same... thing four different times so well, that, just kind of make that, it look a bit different
0: yeah maybe it so still like something with that though is he's kind of revisiting the same memory over and over again but each time he sees a little bit more and more as his memory kind of repairs but yeah definitely like simplify it so you're not you're not doing that every time you travel to the new planet
1: but yeah it, it'll be cool to see what happens i i loved the episode i'm I'm excited to see what the rest of the season will bring and I hope that they trend towards longer episodes like sometimes Disney can kind of be a little bit of being counters very cautious to see if something works and the first season ended up working and I hope we reap the benefit as fans like and have longer episodes where more happens.
0: All right. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and wrap things up.
1: Then you can find us on Instagram at Ebenhawk Podcast, And the EbonHawk can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, as well as everywhere else that Anchor Podcasts are distributed. The best way to find our podcast is the link in the bio of our Instagram. And as I said, subscriptions, reviews, and shares help us out. And then our email is EbonHawkPodcast at gmail.com. Please email us your questions and business inquiries there.
0: And then you can find me on uh, Twitch, Instagram, and uh, Twitter, just uh, searching for Conan Bon. Uh, if you want to talk to me live, though, uh, do so on Twitch, typically Thursday evenings. Our intro and outro themes were composed by Alistair Shorman, and he can be found on alistairsounds.wixsite.com forward slash Sounds. Our transition music was composed by Christian Walker, and he can be found at christianwalkermusic.com. Uh, This has been the Ebon Hawk podcast. May the force be with you. We'll be back soon. Bye for now.